Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Episode 17, The Phalanx Covenant. Buy it, use it, break it, fix it, trash it, change it, mail, upgrade it, charge it, point it, zoom it, press it, snap it, work it, quick, erase it, write it, cut it, paste it, save it, load it, check it, quick, rewrite it, plug it, play it, burn it, rip it, drag it, drop it, zip, unzip it, lock it, fill it, call it, find it, view it, code it, jump, and lock it, surf it, scroll it, pose it, pick it, cross it, crack it, switch, update it, name it, read it, tune it, print it, scan it, send it, fax, rename it, touch it, Ring it, pay it, watch it, turn it, leave it, stop, format it. Technologic. 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 Buy it, use it, break it, fix it, crash it. Hey everybody, this is Jerry. This is Sean. And this is another episode of the Great Expectations Podcast. And we are here with another special guest. This is a lovely young man that I met at the Cincy Comic Con back in September. We've become lifelong friends ever since. You probably know him from his comic work. I know him because of his dashing good looks and bald pate. <laughs> I am, of course, talking about Justin Peterson, who is author and artist on Very Near Mint. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. You're welcome. I liked it when you said another episode of Great Expectations, there was a pain in your voice. Yeah. But you said another really like, oh, Jesus, here we go again. Yeah, we're, um, there's no going back now. I think we're committed to this. We are. Especially now that we have Justin on the line. I mean, we, it took so long to get me on the line, so, like, yeah. you guys can stomach at least one more episode. Well, as far as they know, um, we just dialed you up and started talking. As far as they know, I'm right there with you guys. Aren't you? I, yes. The magic of radio. Or so whatever. we've flown down to his secret lair in, near Orlando, Florida. I will next week. Yeah. What? Oh, there you go. Right across the street from Disney World. Oh, man. That's where I'll be next Hey, week. that's where I practically live. I'm going to lose my shit inside Marvel Island. <laughs> oh, well, see, that's not Disney World. That's Universal. Universal. For now. Oh. Yeah, that's true. I don't have any inside information. Mm. Mm, or oh, do really? I? I think you might. kind of do. <laughs> well, nobody listens to this show, so you can just go ahead and tell my, us. Everyone that I know, all my friends work for Disney, including my girlfriend and my brother's girlfriend. So, uh, you know, you're privy sometimes to some insider information. Right. Yeah. Like who's really under that Mickey Mouse costume? Oh, it's me. That's that's how I pay the bills. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's no money in comics. Come on now. <laughs> I read the other day that the guy who dresses up as Cap... In Universal, got arrested for sending nude pictures of himself to a sixteen-year-old. <laughs> that hilarious! I met a guy who played Captain America and Cyclops at the House of Blues uh, years ago, maybe like six years ago, uh, before a concert. And uh, That's awesome. House of Blues is inside. Yeah, Disney. yeah, it's it's okay. a downtown Disney, and uh, we were just sitting up there chatting, and they asked what I did, and I said I drew comics, and he's like, "Oh, my or his girlfriend." Was it there? And she goes, oh yeah, he's Captain America. I'm like, uh huh. No, I really am Captain America. I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. What do you do, jerk? Drawing man. I, I draw funny drawings. <laughs> we never gave the, uh, the elevator pitch of the book. Do you want to do that? I can put it- oh yeah. I guess we're, we're talking about this book and no one has any idea about it. Uh, <laughs> the elevator pitch would be, it's these two guys, Colin and Sam. They own a comic book shop called the Splash Page. 
Uh, one day, uh, a rival store literally opens up across the street called Across the Street Comics, and all hell breaks loose, and you sort of spend three volumes of the book figuring out why uh, this rival store across the street is uh, hell-bent on these guys' destruction. Oh, and they have their reasons. Oh, they do. Oh, there's reasons, for sure. <laughs> Maybe not good reasons, no. but reasons. <laughs> Funny reasons. And yeah, Volume 3 is uh, twice as long as uh, Volume 1 and oh, Volume cool. 2. It's like 200 and almost 250 pages, where the first book was 130 pages story-wise. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot going on in Volume 3. And it's got, uh, it's not just a black and white book this time. Like, I, I haven't, it's indie, it's an indie book, so it's black and white. Sorry, people who <laughs> want color comics. Uh, but there's like 30 pages of color in volume three, so. Okay. Well, yeah. I never missed the color in this. I mean, you know, there's gray tones, sorta. Yeah, no, I do, I do heavy zip tone. I'm really into, uh, toning the book, so it looks, you know, you don't really necessarily miss the, uh, the color. I did have someone at New York Comic Con two years ago. They came up. They were asking about the book. I gave them the pitch. They were like, okay, that sounds really cool. And they were sort of looking at the book. I'm like, feel free to flip through, guy. And so he picks up the book. He flips through. He's like, black and white. He throws the book down on the table and walks away. Like, he was, like, totally into it until he saw that it was black and white and was just yeah. disgusted with me. He's like, oh, sorry, man. Really insane. Well, you are giving yeah. them a free opportunity to color it the way they want to see it colored. Yeah, I mean, I should just start giving out a pack of crayons to everyone that buys the book and be like, bring it back and let me know what you think. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't think that's the craziest idea ever. Well, that, they did that with an issue of Next Wave. Do you remember that series? Yeah, that, course, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they had the black and white issue where you could color it. Yeah, that book was awesome. That book was fantastic. This book made me laugh every bit as hard. Yeah. Hey, tell everybody about your day job, because uh, that's that's like a Facebook thing. I don't know if everybody would have seen that. Uh, you're talking about the murals? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I work for... Or do we not call that your day well, job? Well, it's, it's the know. job that... I mean, I'm really not Mickey Mouse, so the job that really does pay the bills is uh, this... Uh, I work for a, a restaurant company based out of Orlando here called Tijuana Flats. We have um, like 101, 102 restaurants now throughout the southeast. And uh, we, uh, I've done, you know, half of the locations in the six years that I've been working for the company. So I just kind of go around and draw these huge monster murals, uh, whatever I want. And uh, they sort of just awesome. leave me alone to do my thing. So that's pretty awesome. All right, Sean, your first mission when you get down there, Tijuana Flats. Oh, you, can't, right. you can't miss it. They're all over the and place. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll be in Orlando for a couple of days and then Reddington Beach. So okay. I don't know if once I'm down there. Find a way. I'm too busy trying to find a theater close to the, within biking distance <laughs> so I can see X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah. Justin, are you looking forward to it? Be honest. Um, yes and no. I mean, the, the continuity of the movies is even worse than the comics, if that's at all possible. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, they really... <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I, I, they they have a lot of explaining to do. And uh, I am I'm, guess I'm excited because I would assume that the Apocalypse movie in 2016 will be a full reboot. So, we'll see. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I'll see it. I mean, I have, like, zero hope for it being like coherent <laughs> I, I can't even this is not like 
Can you imagine <laughs> like a ten year old kid going and seeing this as his first X Men movie? Like that seems crazy to me. Yeah, that could be tough. Yeah, but there's two Professor Xavier's. What? Listen, okay, but the first I'll, I will challenge you with that. That as an eleven year old, the first comic book that I ever bought was the issues of X Men where Ravanchi and Psylocke were fighting and going at it. So there was the whole mojo like. I'm British and this is my body and I'm Asian and this is my body and I still liked comics. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Justin, yeah. there's a kid's book in there for you somewhere. I'm Asian and this is my body. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna, you know, that's, uh, I think it has hit written all over it. Yeah, you need to set aside this very near mint business and, and get on that. I'm just saying. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. I've been barking up the wrong tree this entire time. All right, well, maybe we shouldn't discuss the movie. I don't want you guys to end up hating each other over a movie that hasn't come out. No, I, look, I, I, I'm the, <laughs> around all my friends, I'm the guy who's, like, optimistic about every movie going in. Like, oh, you guys, I think Amazing Spider-Man 2 is going to be awesome. We go see it. They all hate it. I'm like, it was really good. So I'm maybe, you know, it doesn't matter what I think. Maybe I'm always wrong, possibly. I thought X3 was awesome the first time I saw it. Ooh. Yeah, I learned. <laughs> I thought Phantom Menace was awesome the first five times I saw I, it. Uh, I, my favorite <laughs> Star Wars movies are the the prequels, one, two, and three. <clears throat> really? Uh-huh. I've still got you beat because my favorite is the Battle for Endor. <laughs> <laughs> I I really don't like Star Wars. I didn't grow up on Star Wars, and. Uh, so, you know, the, the four, five, and six never really, like, they weren't in my house or anything. And then, you know, when one, two, and three came out, I was like, oh yeah, these are really cool because of the special effects. And all my friends were like, no, man, you gotta see a new hope. And every time they tried to watch, make me watch a new hope, I fell asleep. Just can't stay wow. awake through it. It's so boring. Yeah, I really believe that the reason I love it so much is because I saw it as a four year old. Well, yeah. I mean, that, you yeah. Know. I mean, I, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, anyone who says, like, I saw it when I was a kid, it's like, I get it. I totally get it. But I didn't, I wasn't introduced to it. My, you know, it just wasn't a thing in our house. Yeah, when I was a kid, I thought Delta Force and fucking, uh, Commando were, <laughs> like, Oscar worthy. His dad was a cop. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. First movie I ever saw in theaters was Lethal Weapon. It took me out of school for that. Nice. I was six. Yes. Yeah, I have no idea what the first movie I saw in theaters was. I can't. I have no recollection of it. I just think it's wrong that you were six the first time you went to the movies. That's sad. Why? I had my kids in there, like in the womb. Yeah, because you're an asshole. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we, we went like, like we went we opening res- night. <laughs> no, midnight. Yeah. You made sure they were all hopped up on sugar. Yes. Yeah. All right, so that'll do it for this edition of the Movies <laughs> Great Expectation Podcast. Uh, Justin, the real reason we brought you here was because we want to hear your origin story of how you came to comics. Uh, I was in, it was sixth grade. Well, I, you know, I had seen comics and picked up comics uh, here and there, like at, uh, Circle K, uh, gas stations, uh, you know, going in with my parents when they got gas or begging them for candy and then being like, oh, I want to buy a comic. But, uh, the first 
time I can remember like falling in love with a comic was my friend in middle school brought in a copy of X-Men number one, the Chris Claremont, Jim Lee, uh, X-Men number one, and was like, you gotta read this. And I was like, X-Men, alright. And I, ever since then, just wanted to draw comics and nothing but comics. That is awesome. Yes. So you were an artist from a young age? Uh, yeah, I mean, I drew, uh, yeah, my first memory of drawing is actually on a wall in my bedroom as a kid. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I must have been like three, four years old at that point. So yeah, I've always, it's the only, it's the only thing I'm good at, really, besides being a lousy boyfriend. Oh. I'm pretty good at that too. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. That wasn't where I was expecting you to take well, it. Well, you know, me either. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm here talking to you guys when I really should be taking my girlfriend out for dinner, but she lost. She did. If it makes you feel better, I've got a wife and two kids upstairs that are being ignored. Hey, they're, see? Well, they're tied up. They're, they are tied up. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, anyway, let's get that back on track. Uh, but no, yeah, my buddy, my buddy introduced me to X-Men and then, um, I would go over to other friends' house and ask if they had any X-Men books and they did and then I would try to steal them under my shirt, like, as I was leaving the house. Like, I have nothing under my shirt. I, I found these comics in the backyard. I don't know who they are. And uh, just, you know, basically my entire collection of stolen comics from my friends in middle school. Sweet. Yeah. Good time. You're like my hero. <laughs> I had candy. Yeah. I don't have a single stolen comic anywhere in my collection. No? No, I'm above it. But my best friends, they cleaned out this one shop when we were kids. It was really sad. Oh, see, I would never steal from a comic shop, but I was not, you know, above stealing from my best friends. Right. I had, there was a line. The a man of principles. There's a, yeah, there was a line. Like, I'm not going to steal from the shop because I can get arrested, but my friend, he'll probably not even recognize that I, like, took this comic from him. Nah. He wanted you to have it. Yeah, that and baseball cards, too. And I bet you the second that those friends were, like, into chicks, comics went out the window. Probably. They probably threw them right in the garbage. So you probably just... Yeah, I mean, I really, it's like, guys, look, you're not going to want these in, like, five years. You saved them from a bonfire, sir. You're a hero. I I mean, really, let's, uh, yeah, I feel better about myself. Thanks. They should pin a medal on you like Han Solo, a reference you wouldn't get because you hate Star Wars. I have no idea who that character is. (laughs) I look forward to that brand new character in Star Wars Episode Seven. Yeah. What did they give the little kid when he won the pod race? Freedom. Get him. <laughs> there you go. Would you rather have freedom or a medal? He, he wasn't a slave anymore. That's what he got as a reward. He got to never see his mom again. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't know. Alive. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he saw his mom again. Just not. Sorry, Sean. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Do we even want to... No. Okay. You know what's funny? For someone who hates Star Wars like <laughs> myself, I always end up talking about Star Wars somehow. I have no idea. That's cool, man. Well, my brother and my his girlfriend are, like, totally obsessed with it, so I come home frequently, and they're watching, you know, Jedi, and I'm just like, oh, little teddy bears on the TV. All right, yeah. I'm going to take a nap. And you live right by Disney, so pretty soon that's going to be fucking taken over by Star Wars stuff, too. Oh, yeah, I mean... It's wasn't Star Wars weekend coming up, I think, something like that. So it was it was last weekend. Oh. I wore a Star Trek shirt on that day and Jerry yelled at me. That's right. <laughs> For May the fourth. 
Yeah. You were a turd. <laughs> that was when we recorded our podcast, our, our next episode, where I cried. There'll be no crying today. Good. I hope not. Yeah, oh, I know the crying was amazing. I didn't sign up for crying. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe you'll cry, but I'm not going oh, to. Oh, I'm sure I can cry. So our our typical next question would be, how did you get to the X-Men? But we've already covered that. See? One step ahead. Because you are one of those precious gems that went straight to the X-Men. And I, it ruined me for the rest of my life because to this day I really don't enjoy DC Comics at all. Like, Oh, and, my God. We're yeah, so nice. I'm I like a, told you you were going to love this. Straight up Marvel guy and uh you know i just can't get behind anything dc puts out i mean batman currently is good because of uh greg capullo but i mean i could care less about the story honestly yeah yeah my man yes you sir are getting a big fat very near mint check soon (laughs) (laughs) so for those who have not read very near mint um it is laced with references to Marvel Comics, and especially X-Men Comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see a Battlestar Galactica t-shirt in here, too. But mostly mostly X-Men stuff. Yeah. And I love it. Uh, and I love you for it. So um, everybody go out and read that. If When you can't read X-Men, you should be reading very near Because me. it's practically an X-Men comic. It really is. If the X-Men owned a comic shop, that's what this comic would be. Yeah. I, really. That's a fair assessment. Everyone knows that I only read Marvel comics and I don't read indie books. And I read that and am planning on buying all the other volumes. So there, ha! High praise. Endorsement from Sean. Take that. The Marvel Zombie. Buy this indie. There's book. nothing wrong with being a Marvel Zombie. Nothing wrong with that at all. There you go. Just give in to it, people. Is let it go. Is it wrong to like the best thing in the world? Only if you're an idiot. Exactly. You don't want to be an idiot. No. So, um, we tasked you with selecting your favorite arc. And you said you wanted to talk about Age of Apocalypse. Of course I did. And we said you can't because we already talked about mm. it. And then you said, I want to talk about Wolverine's Bone Claws. <laughs> And we said you can't because Don Fartpenis already talked about that when he was a guest on our show. When we talk about Age of Apocalypse again, we should have you on. Oh, yes. well, I mean, that is something I don't even need to go back and reread because it's literally playing like a movie in my head nonstop. <laughs> Why didn't we call you instead of Ryan Stegman? I don't know. <laughs> he was I, like, wasn't there a thing called Age of Apocalypse, I think? Let's do that. Let's do, let's, we'll talk about that. I'm not gonna read anything. Wow. No. He's a busy guy. You're saying Justin's not? What the fuck? I'm really not. I mean, I am, but I I'm guess really that's not. what I was saying, and I'm an asshole. That's fine. Edit that out. I'm gonna edit that out. All that's going away. <laughs> Justin, we're just glad that you're here because you're such a busy guy. Yeah. And, uh, what have you decided that you want to talk about today? Uh, well, if I can't talk about the Age of Apocalypse or I can't talk about Fatal Attractions, uh, my next choice, uh, clearly for me would be the uh, Phalanx Covenant, uh, because of the uh, origins of Generation X. Yay! Fucking a. Well, let's do it, man. Sure. Let's get into this, ma. 
So there, so, there was bad guys, and the X Men defeated them, and uh, you know, there we go, done. All right, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming yeah, yeah. on. Let's go back to talking about very near. Sounds man. good. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a uh, huge crossover event over all of the thousand X Men titles that they had in the nineties. I'm glad they don't do that anymore. Or wait. Whoops. Yeah, they do. You know what though? I actually that's I'm happy that you said that right out of the gate because one of the things that I loved about this story is the fact that the the, the main team in the core like first four parts of the story that are about the introduction of Generation X was such a weird fucking it was, team. they were D-listers man I mean think about yeah. it it's it's uh you know Sabretooth which maybe at that point would be the most popular guy on that on the, in those issues and then you had Banshee and White Queen who are not popular at all, or weren't yeah. at least, and then Jubilee. But, but this story <laughs> who was never popular. Uh, I loved her. I loved her. <gasps> Whoa, my bad. I take it back. She was just. But this. Know. Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. Nothing. I was just gonna, you know, talk about my love affair for. Go ahead, because I was gonna talk about my love affair for Banshee. Oh well, I mean, who doesn't love redheads? <sighs> That's right. Oh. True. Gingers unite. That's, right. That's why I do this podcast with Jerry. <laughs> no, I think that this is the reason why I like Bansy so much, and I think that this um, Lobdell who did this also did Operation Zero Tolerance, yes. and I think I liked that so much because they did kind of the same thing. It was like the team split apart, mm-hmm. all kind of different places, I, and it was Iceman. It was like the best Iceman's ever been. Like anytime everybody's like Iceman sucks, I'm like, you clearly did not read. It's Carlos Pacheco art. It's mm. awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I almost picked Operation Zero Tolerance. Almost did. Almost. Oh, I'm firing Jerry. You're in. I, again, the reason, the reason I picked this one is because of Generation X. And, uh, you know, it was, even when you started reading X-Men, no matter where you picked it up, you never really were on the ground floor. And I mean, I guess you could have felt that way about maybe like, you know, X-Force or, or something like that. But Generation X felt like, you know, for, I was, I was 1995, so I was 13, 14 years old. I felt like, oh man, this is like brand new. I, this is, I'm at the very beginning of something brand new for the X-Men. And, uh, that's why I think it like resonates so well for me. It was our generation's new mutants. Yes, exactly. Right. They had a TV movie with Max Hedrick. Uh, yes, they did, and it was absolutely terrible. But I still watched it. <laughs> I did. I still have it on VHS, and I own a VCR. Just for that reason. Now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna have to watch that. I saw an, an edition of it on YouTube where Jubilee swears all over the place. Like they cut out a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she actually says the line, I cosmically shit my pants. Wow. Cause they were talking about the astral plane. <laughs> And she was talking to Skin, and she was you know, like... I fucking nuts. That was the scariest thing I have ever felt in my entire life. I cosmically shit my fucking pants. Yeah, it's the astral plane. Let's start off with easy, an easy topic right off the bat for a made-for-TV movie. <laughs> Whew. Oh, so Jubilee, huh? Yeah, man. Well, you know, again, being... Uh, when I when I got into the book, you know, there was a girl my age, and, or you know, I guess I maybe was younger than her age at that point. But you know, it felt like oh, uh, it was a nice way for I, I, you know, she was designed to bring younger people into the book as like you're seeing through her eyes sort of situation. So just she's our kitty press. Exa- exactly. 
That's why when you shit on her, Jerry, I'm like... Okay, real cool, Jerry. Yeah, fuck your Jewish princess, you asshole. In, in 15 years, yeah, Jubilee I, will be running some one of the X-Men schools, and then we'll all... Who will be laughing then? Said no one ever. <laughs> <laughs> Never gonna happen. No, I agree right. with you if it wasn't for... Maybe 500 years from now, because she's a vampire and she'll outlive everyone. Don't they give her medicine for that? I don't know. She's got a necklace, right? Like she... inject her with Wolverine's healing. See, I don't read. Time. I don't read. Je- I don't read Brian Woods X Men. That a boy. It's just one too many. I, I admit that I still read it, but I was hoping you were going to say you don't read it on principle. Uh, it's not on principle. It's just uh, you know, um, I don't really care for any of the characters. <gasps> Another Storm hater. I, dude, I hate Storm. Oh, I just never liked her. It, it really, it, to me, she was ruined from well the movies. Number one, uh, oh, so yeah. bad in the movies. But the, even in the cartoon, it was just overbearing. I just couldn't yeah. couldn't get behind yeah. it. Yeah, that the, none of that was ever Claremont Storm. You know, it was never never the same. But I guess he was still writing it when X Men One came around. So she wasn't in that book, was she? No, she, oh, yeah, she was. Was she an X-Men? No, she was in Uncanny. Yeah, right? yeah she was on she the gold in... team. Right. Yeah. Uncanny X-Men 281, buddy. 281. I had discovered girls by then, momentarily. So I was out. They hadn't discovered you. No, <laughs> sir. <laughs> so um, the beginning of this whole event takes place in Uncanny X-Men and... X-Men. X-Men. Mm-hmm. Introduces the characters of Generation X. And um, we've got a white queen who's in a green leotard. Full green leotard. Just walking around like no one cares. I don't know about this. So this is early Joe Mad art. This is actually, I think, his like third or fourth issue on Uncanny. Up to this point, he was like, I mean, he's still technically, at this point, like a fill-in artist. He's not even the full-time guy yet. I was sold. Yeah, you know, rereading this, um, you can see signs that he's going to become a big artist, but he's still got that kid's inconsistency where some of the panels are like, oh, what the hell happened there? Yeah. But it's a good-looking book. I mean, we're going to see some stuff from Tony Daniel later that <laughs> is not as strong as this. No, yeah, the first four issues uh, of the storyline clearly are the strongest of the bunch. I mean, it's uh, Joe Matarera, Andy Kubert, one-two knockout punch. You can't go wrong with that. Can't do it. So this whole deal is that, uh, do we want to talk at all about how we got to this storyline, I mean the the phalanx show up. I'm not really clear on where they came from. I don't think they were very clear on where they came from. I know that they yeah, kind of, I, they they weren't very clear. Yeah, it, I mean, it kind of, like I know the guy that in the begin and in the beginning, um, M is basically introduced Monet, who everybody knows now from Peter David's X Factor, and she's on the aforementioned Brian Woods X Men, which nobody here likes. So. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till that's canceled and then she gets pushed off to another book. Probably Peter David's X. Hopefully uncanny. And, 
she gets attacked by one of the phalanx, which is this guy named Harvest, who, if you were a avid reader at the time, there was, like, a few issues before this. There was kind of, like, a two-page little, like, interlude, and it showed some business guy, like, hugging and kissing his wife and getting in a car. And, like, as he was, as the car was, it was like a carpool car, and as it was driving away, he, like, threw his briefcase out the window. That dude actually becomes that guy. I don't know if that was ever really made super clear. But hmm. it's just some normal dude who basically hated mutants who was like, I'll let this thing assimilate me and become a bad guy, and I'll go after these kids. So that's kind of a tradition for the X-Men, that an innocent bystander gets murdered and turned into something horrible. And it's also an X-Men tradition to have the team, like the main core group of your people are all captured. Because mm-hmm. most of them are already, you don't know this yet, but they're all yeah, acting weirdly that, because they've already been assimilated. I think that's part of the reason why I love these first four, or especially this first issue of the uh, story in Uncanny, because it's sort of like a you know, uh, a mystery Banshee's running around trying to figure out why everyone's acting weird. And then, you know, the, the control room is all dismantled. He doesn't know what's going on. Beast acts like a crazy person. Rogue is acting like a crazy person. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, he does wind up, Scott and Gene are fine because they were on their honeymoon, which was actually, if you're at all familiar with that time period of the X-Men, they went into the future and raised Cable. In different bodies. In different bodies. That looked like their bodies. Weird, man. But it was a really good miniseries. Is it like Gene Ha art? Gene Ha, that's right. Oh, right. I just saw him two weeks ago. Super nice guy. Rubbing elbows. Yeah, I was. Outer circle. I think he thought I was Cully Hamner. Yeah? Yeah, for a minute, because I was like gathering my stuff at Cully's table. Did you let that ride? No. No, you tell him? <laughs> no, I, did, I just... I start signing books. Yeah, I, I asked him for a sketch, and I figured that would pretty clearly show that mm-hmm. I wasn't him. That's got did nothing he, to do with anything. Did he give you a sketch? He said he could do something quick, and I said, that's not good enough. Oh, I'll see you damn. tomorrow. <laughs> and then I got a good one the next day. Archangel acts like a dick to Banshee, which is not out of character. So that <laughs> didn't... Still not out of character. So that didn't raise any eyebrows? Betsy came out of Professor Xavier's War Room, which is the first thing that started to uh, kind of raise Banshee's suspicion. And so then he did a he did a quick test, realized that there were only four living people in the mansion, which were himself, Jubilee, who's in the Danger Room, Sabretooth, who was stupidly in the mansion under arrest. <laughs> that wouldn't come back to bite them at all. Nope. And uh, Emma Frost. Pause for Alan. Hello, bitch. <laughs> so the reason why I'm going on and on about this is because Banshee goes down into the basement to uh, basically get Sabretooth out. And he knows that Rogue is a uh, flanx at this point. So she tries to stop him, and Banshee uses his sonic scream to blow her apart. And that is my favorite panel in all of comics. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, it's got to be the the effect of his sonic scream, but and it might be the fact that this. Honestly, I was like on a summer vacation trip up north to a friend's cabin, and I got this issue in like a dusty old used bookstore that was creepy as shit. So there's like memories attached to it. But when I saw that, 
I was done. I was a comic book fan for life. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's coming from an art standpoint. You know, like they were at they're still testing the waters with some digital like coloring. Like they're still trying doing like the X Factor and Excalibur books are, look like they're colored in the more traditional way. But they were really starting to push the boundaries of what they could do with the uh, effects in the main books. And that panel like blew my mind. When I when I saw it too, because it you know it just looks, and maybe it's not anything special anymore. But and the way Rogue is falling apart yeah. too, it just the whole thing looks really cool. Yeah, I agree. Plus they were still ha- still hand lettering though. Yeah, which becomes really obvious in the X Factor X Force Excalibur issues. <laughs> Holy Moses, there were some big block letters. <laughs> I like the hand lettering. Oh, I'm not... It's done properly. Yeah. I'm a little sad that it's not our, our guy, Orzahovsky, doing it, but uh, that's okay. Eliopoulos did some of these issues, I think. He's still around. But you know what is kind of cool about this, since we've been doing the big, giant reread, um, is that this is actually inked by Terry Austin. Oh, yeah, I was going to comment on Talk that. Talk about the fucking longest run in comics history. <laughs> well, he did leave when Byrne left. Oh, okay. He was gone for a while. I, can't, I couldn't tell you when he came back, but, um, Justin, any idea? Uh, I don't know exactly, but I know that he didn't stick around very long with uh, even these issues. They were uh, looking for someone who meshed with uh, Joe Madureira's style. So they were messing around with Dan Green and Terry Austin simultaneously, and then they brought Tim Townsend in and then uh, sealed the deal right. with uh, Joe Mad. Why don't they bring Tim Townsend back to Joe Mad? Because he's currently inking Chris Bacalo. Yeah, he's not. Uh, Joe Mad's they're shooting straight from pencils now. I don't think he even no. has an inker yep. anymore. Nope, straight pencils. Yeah. No. I'm, not, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of like the traditional approach myself. I don't know, but I guess if that's what he wants to do, we'll see where it goes. If we start a letter campaign, maybe we can stop it. Not gonna happen. Probably not. Probably not. People don't care about us. So uh, really, he does. He doesn't have an inker for time reasons because he's so slow. So they basically turn the pages in last minute. They don't have time to ink his pages. So it turns out that the Flanks are um, trying to figure out a way to assimilate mutants because they can assimilate humans into their collective, but they can't um, do it to mutants. So they've come up with the crazy idea that instead of trying it with the X-Men, I mean, obviously they have them kidnapped and they've become versions of them, but uh, shit, even that doesn't really make that much sense. For some reason, <laughs> because like, you look at it, you're like, oh, they're... they're they're going to try it out on novice mutants who don't have as much control over their power because I think it'll be easier to figure out a way to use them to assimilate mutants. So uh, Banshee uh, finds a list of mutants that they were looking for and he sets out after them with Sabretooth Jubilee and Emma. And they're going to get the job done. Yep. So now we hop over to the, let's see, this is X-Men number 36, easily identified by the awesome holographic circuitry strip across the cover. 
I remember buying these um, on eBay when I was trying to rebuild the 90s after I picked up probably in around 2003 was when I started reading again. And when these showed up in the mail, I was like, wow, these covers are sweet. They are. They really are. I bought them on the shelf day of release. You were cooler than I. I had to beg my dad for money, though, so I don't know how cool that makes I me. think this was the first... I did the same thing. I think this was the first um, crossover that I was able to get as it was coming out. Because um, I think I caught Executioner's Song at like the tail end, so I was able to buy it in bulk. Mm-hmm. I love that crossover, but every time I go to reread it, I'm like, holy soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> the whole scene where, like... Strife is cramming baby food in Gene's mouth. I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Anyways. Don't worry about it. So, so X-Men, what is it? 36. 36 introduces one of my favorite X-Men characters, which is Sink, who's horribly yes. underused. A great part. Would have been like, he was like the cannonball of Generation X. Like, should have become a full-fledged X-Men. Probably would have led the damn team. They go on. And Andy Kubert draws him totally like Jack. Yeah, he does. He does. Like straight up, like muscle dude. Hey, he's supposed to be what, like sixteen years old? Yes. How many steroids did he take? All of them? Well, Madre, well, that's back then. It was okay, right? <laughs> you think he's bad in the Andy Kubert issues? Just wait till you get the next issue with Madriera. He looks like Beast in his chest area. He's like. Oh, yeah. Sean's always checking out the chest area. I am. Hey, nothing wrong with that. I love the way Andy draws Sabretooth in this book. There's kind of a three, two, two-thirds page splash of uh, Sabretooth, and he's still got the, the mask covering his mouth and the, the little gauntlets strapping his hands together, which have claws on them. I don't know why that's an effective yeah. restraint. Well, they're not as sharp as his regular claws. Now they're just, you know, sort of dulled metal tips. Right. Okay. He'll gut you slower now. Yeah. One of the things, He'll still gut you, though. One of the things that was great about being a kid when these came out, too, is they were so fast at turning around toys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, if you... Because, like, this came out, and you could buy a Sabretooth in the... Had the face mask. Had the things. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I had all That's the Generation cool. X toys. You still do, don't you? I do. Little Chamber I... had the little sparky thing. You can pull the string on his yep. back and his face <laughs> mask. It's awesome. Brilliant. So uh, Marvel was in bed with uh, Toy Biz yeah. at this point, right? They were yes. closely they were tied. cranking them out left and right. Because that was like, they released like a special when Generation X was coming out, which had like, like this... It was a whole like interview with Lobdell and Bacello, where um, or Bacello, or however you want to say his name. Chime and he did a bunch of like. What's the right way to say it? I have heard it both ways. I say Bacello. Okay. Bac- or Bacello. I don't know. It doesn't matter. See now, now I'm confused. Now I don't even remember what way I say it. <laughs> Editor's note: the correct pronunciation is Bacello. Well, it had an interview with him where he showed a bunch of, like, sketch designs of the characters. Early on, they did a bunch of interviews. Mm -hmm. They did an interview with, like, the people who were doing the cartoon and what was coming up with the cartoon. And then they showed a bunch of... Generation X ash can. Yeah. And then they had a bunch of 
previews of the toys that were coming out. It's a big to-do, man. You and your girls. Sorry. Where'd that get you? Well, it's because I'm old. <laughs> you know? If I was young like you guys, I would have been in business. See, I just sat in my room listening to Smashing Pumpkins, reading X-Men, feeling bad for myself. <sighs> you guys were separated at birth, I think. It's true. <laughs> I was like, what wonderful 90s music are we going to pick for this episode? There's so many. <laughs> Too many, probably. I was like, I will not. I'm saving Stars by Hum for the perfect episode. It's a good track. It is. So good. What else do we want to say about this here? Sabretooth escapes at the end. Did I spoil it? He does. No, you didn't. Well, I, you know, can you spoil something that's like 15 years old? <laughs> well, hang on, because you're skipping over the fact that, like, not only do you get introduced to Sink, you also get to uh, Paige Guthrie. Yes, and you see the Guthrie clan. Yeah, all, all 27 of them. of them. Jesus, keep it in your pants, dude. The guy's been dead. How is he still making babies? <laughs> well, technically, none of them are very young. That's, yeah, well, yeah, there's a couple. I mean, they're they're like two, three years old, maybe. So it's the '90s, man. None of that shit matters. That's right. Paige was such a great character, too. Seriously, dude. they they really have. I mean, they, they had such opportunity with those characters, and they just totally shat the bed. Because this is why, when anybody brings up like the the Academy X kids and uh, you know New X Men, like later on. I feel like all of those kids were like, it was part of my problem with the initial Grant Morrison switch, was mm-hmm. I don't like it when, which sounds so stupid when I say that out loud, it sounds like I'm whining, but like, I'm not the biggest fan of the, there's been a six month, six month break, and you don't know what's happened in this time period, but things have shifted. Like, and they did that twice around that time period, there was like a break when Claremont came back. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. You don't know what happened during these six months, but... Cable's leading the X-Men now. And then that stuck around for a couple issues, and then it was off to the um, Grant Morrison, Frank Wiley stuff. And and I feel like a lot of those kids were kind of just dumped into our lap of just like, here's 20 new kids that you need to know. Here's their powers. They're all great. Mm-hmm. And this, I like the fact that it was like, oh, in this issue, you're introduced to M. And in this introduced, you know, here's Sink. Mm-hmm. And here's why he's good. And he's going to help, like, rescue the other, you know? There was, like, a certain... They don't do that anymore. They took you to dinner first? Yeah. We're just jamming it in. Okay. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. I don't know. It's uh, two different ways to tell a story, I guess, but I, I can see the attraction. You Like, building the relationship with the characters. Because some of the characters, like, now, when they introduce them all in kind of, like, one issue, I'm still... like. You could be like, Sean, Generation Hope, name one character, and I'd be like, no. <laughs> Damn. I can't really even do that with uh, Uncanny X-Men right now. They kind of are doing the same thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, they've balls. got all these new young characters. And, I, and you know, they, I know why they did it, because they've got Cello, Bacalo. On the, uh, on, on the book, and it's, and it's cool, but I just don't care about them the same way that I cared about these characters. And I don't know if that has anything to do with how old I am now or, or how invested I was back then. But, you know, there's just something about what they did with these guys that made you care more than they make you care now. Yeah, it's definitely not us, Justin. It's them. <laughs> I, that's the way I prefer We're it. We're not getting older. 
What we need to do is find some kids and hand some X-Men books to them and see what they think. But I think as a social experiment. I don't know any 10-year-old boys or girls. That's good, Jerry. <laughs> I can know them. I just can't shouldn't know, know them. them. Yeah. Come on. This went to a dark place. Someday my kids are going to be old enough to read X-Men comics, and I can't wait. You can't force it on them. you got to let it happen naturally. Right. I keep trying to force the comics on my girlfriend, and she's just not having it. She's like, yeah, no thanks. I'm like, well, Joss Whedon wrote some X-Men books, and she's like, yeah, no, I'm good. Wow. Please tell me that she's yeah. read your comics. No. <gasps> no. No, she has. Oh, okay. No, she has. Hopefully. She ha- only because she has to. Now, what if, could you, what if she didn't like him? What happens then? What's the scenario then? <laughs> it would be fine. I mean, you know, I, I'm not so uptight that I couldn't deal with it. Okay. He's just really not worried about it. <laughs> He's laughing inside. He's like, like she wouldn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I do is hot shit. That's right. That's right. If people like to laugh, they will like very near mint. And that's all there is to say. Really? I mean, that's all. I'm just going to make a new cover, and that's all it's going to say on the cover. Yeah, let me know if you need a pull quote. Sure. Yeah. People listen to me. You're important. I am, in my own mind. My kids like me. Not as much as me. They like Sean Moore, but they like me. <laughs> I don't think Chloe does. I think she gets offended that I pay so much attention to Finn, which has started to give me a complex. We're off topic. Oh, that's weird. That never happens on this show. All right. So like Jerry spoiled earlier, Sabretooth escapes. That's moving a plot along, people. And for the first time, we get the whole crew in one place at one time. Almost. Yeah, you're introduced to Blink and Skin in this issue. Yeah, it was funny because they're they're sitting in this room with... uh, this Gregor guy, and I'm like, who the hell is Gregor? I don't know who this is. I have no idea who this guy is. There's a good reason for that. Eventually, you, you find out. Yes. Well, I'll let yeah. somebody else tell the tale. I'll let Justin tell the tale. I'll be more. So specific. this uh... turns out to be a bad guy. <gasps> That's, uh, whoop! Whoop! Sorry. Yeah, he's a he's a phalanx agent planted in their midst to gain their trust. But uh they don't really know how teenage kids talk, so he says stuff like golly and whatever the hell people said in the 50s. Which I'm telling you, didn't really say much then, because I was like, oh, he's like another cannonball. Yeah. So, oh, he's just a country hick. Exactly. And uh you flip a few more pages as they're getting to know each other, and... um <laughs> And suddenly Paige has the giantest 70s bush that I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's it's all made out of uh, techno-organic circuitry. And uh, somehow she's become infected, which... With the trans-mode virus. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, is bad, right? This is probably going to be the most difficult thing for us to explain. Because by the time that I got to the X-Force, X-Factor, Excalibur issues... I was so sick and tired of the phalanx like jargon. Yeah. That I think my eyes just started to cross. Let's just not use it. And instead of phalanx, let's call them Borg. 
So the Borg <laughs> capture Picard and Riker and put them in this room with a fake data. They think it's data, but really it's a Borg guy. And he's all, we will assimilate you. I mean, no, that's not what happens. But, um, I mean, this is a pretty thinly veiled yeah. swipe of the Borg. And it's still, I mean, even though it's completely blatant, it's still fun. I do love, though, that this issue highlights what's crazy and weird and creeps me out about most hardcore X-Men fans. It's like Blinks in this for like a total of six pages, and for some reason she's everyone's favorite character. Yep. Gary argues with me about this all the time because he explains to me that there's so many X-Men characters that it's okay for people to have favorites that aren't Cyclops, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine types. But I just don't see the appeal to saying when someone goes, hey, who's your favorite X-Man? And you go, Magma. I don't get it. <laughs> I always liked Magma. I, think you're just, I wouldn't put her at the top. But, but I just I think like that her. like when people are like, blink, I'm like, you're just saying that because you want people to think you're like edgy and shit. Maybe Uncanny X-Men number blah, blah, blah was, was what, the first comic they ever read. And they were like, oh, here's this new character. Yeah. That is a possibility, I'm sure. I mean, I would like to come across one kid at some point who was like, fucking Gregor was my favorite, and I stopped <laughs> comics right afterwards. <laughs> Somewhere in the Marvel offices, there's a stack of letters. I can't believe you killed off Gregor. Yeah. Oh, oh man, that's good. That's so good. There, there's, I, I have to steal that idea for a comic. It just fucking rips it up. It's like, I'm done. <laughs> Blink is pretty cool. I, I like Blink because, um, she's... Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Age of Apocalypse is the reason why everyone likes her. She was amazing and badass in that book. But I always find it, because I mean, even that is only four issues. Mm-hmm. Four great issues. Which segment we really talked about. What's going on here? Oh. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I, I like that she, in this issue, the, like she starts off kind of shy and scared and kind of reminds me of Rain, you know, who was my favorite, uh, new mutant as a kid, you know, the redhead characters. She's got the Scottish thing going on, which I'm drawn to, you know, my peoples. Jerry likes hairy chicks. I do. Um, but, uh, the way she manifests her power for the first time, uh, she slices up one of the phalanx into like a thousand pieces, like she cut them up with a samurai sword. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. I, th- I think, uh, that gives her the best power set out of the whole group. To me. Cause Paige is kind of disgusting. Yeah, and, and Skin really doesn't know what he's doing yet. Skin doesn't actually look like skin either. He still looks weird. Yeah. It's like a prune. Should have called him prune. Um, skin was one of the first characters that I ever ran across in my younger years when I first got internet. And I didn't know what fan fiction was. This is going to go to a weird place, fellas. Just buckle up. <laughs> I had no idea the concept of this. And I uh, ran across a picture. And it haunts me to this day. <laughs> it's me and my buddy Chris. And it was a picture of the the Generation X kids, the the males, uh, really giving the once over to uh, Emma Frost. <laughs> All right. And uh, I drew I drew that. Okay. <laughs> no. Um. That was me. Skin was in the back area. Okay. And uh, 
part oh of his skin was was uh he basically human centipede her and it was coming out of the front. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and there was a classy caption that I can't repeat about you can't his, repeat it on this show. His use of his power. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh my god, deleted it. <laughs> couldn't look at the computer for a couple days, couldn't look at my comics for a couple days, couldn't eat. It was really uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Well, hold up, let me get Google going. It you changed, talk. it changed some things. <laughs> I didn't realize that like artists did that sort of thing, so then it opened up this whole like, realm of like and I believe like the even weirder part was it was like done in a Joe Madriera esque type of art style. Well if it was on the internet back then, then that's the only I mean, yeah, that's how it would have been drawn because, you know. But then there was part that, of me that was like, I wonder if <laughs> I remember I knew nothing about comic book artists at this point, but I was like, I wonder if they do this shit on the side to make extra money. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wish I could tell you that they don't, but they <laughs> totally do. So weird. Some of the requests I've gotten from people at conventions for sketches are, it's just some of the most bizarre stuff you'd ever, you could, I mean, you couldn't even think about it. That's how crazy some of this stuff is. You promised me you wouldn't bring that up. When I asked Stegman once to, uh, <laughs> to draw you getting He's fucking. talking about me. Having but- Jack Kirby was having butt sex with you. <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't do it. Why? I don't, cause you made some mention of like him. I think it was that time that you told me that Stanley was gay and you wouldn't let it go and it was pissing me off. So I was like, Damn it. So I contacted Stegman and I was like, could you have just have Jack Kirby fucking really given it to you. But I wanted Stan in the background giving Jack direction. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, thanks for the thought. You should thank Stegman for not doing it. I do thank him for not doing it. Next order of business. Oh, so, um, so the, uh, Emma Frost and Banshee need to break into a shield thing. Shield little compound. And, uh, there's a female shield agent who catches on to their scheme and she looks a lot like Maria Hill. She does. I know that it's not, but when I was rereading this, I was like, that looks suspiciously like Maria Hill. And I like the way that they're caught in this, even though I'm sure it's some type of a, uh, you know, it's been done a million times before, but when I was a kid reading this, I was like, oh, that's so clever. Cause, you know, Emma telepathically masks their presence, but it's raining outside, so when they come in, there's a puddle around where they are where there shouldn't be one, and that mm. clues the shield agents in. And meanwhile, while the um, younger kids are being held, M, who hasn't said anything, starts talking, and she puts it together that Gregor isn't who he's supposed to be, and she blasts him to hell. So the one kid who picked up issue 317 and was like, this is my first comic, I love this Gregor guy. That's his. That's the end of his. That's his Dead. Gone. He'll be back. When I start my X-Men run, he's going to be the star. If Doug Locke can come back, Gregor can come we back. We need you to come back for the Age of Apocalypse because there's one character 
who I couldn't figure out who they were in the normal universe. And he was like one of Apocalypse's, like, it wasn't one of the horsemen, but he was just like a weird human looking guy. Shit. Okay, so that narrowed it down. Yeah. It, I don't know. I'll figure it out. All I remember was talking about Morph. That was it. No. There was like a human character that for a while I, it, like, I was like, maybe it's, maybe it was Dr. Rory Campbell. Maybe not. I don't know. But there was like one dude where I was like, I can't figure out where you come from. So I didn't know if maybe it was one of those. I didn't know if maybe it was like an Alpha Flight character that they brought back. Like that dude who could talk to machines. Oh, yeah. Madison Jeffries. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe that it was him, but I doubt it. So you get more, bro. I know. Sorry. (laughs) Fuck. Screwing it up. This no. This the problem is this is one of my favorite stories to like read because of the soldier factor. But I don't know how well this translates into like. Let me tell you about how great this story is because it's like great because it's one of the stories that got me into comics. Yeah, but it doesn't unfortunately hold up. Well, yeah. There's <clears throat> it's it's complicated because again the X Men and Uncanny X Men have. At this point, characters that are not established running around and Sabretooth and, and Banshee, who no one, you know, everyone sort of forgot about and White Queen, who had been comatose for a couple issues prior and uncanny. And then, you know, the story goes into X Factor, X Force and X Caliber, where it doesn't really, you know, like you could forget these issues and it doesn't really affect the story at all. Like they've got professor X hanging out with those guys and then Cyclops and Jean gray are hanging out with Wolverine and cable in Wolverine and cable. Like it's crazy that the story took place like that, where the, the a list characters literally don't show up until like the, the third or fourth page till the end, uh, that cable issue. Yeah. I really think if you were to read this story, you really only need to read, the first four. Like, cause I, I think as a kid, like, that's what I, I don't think I read the X Factor, X Force, Excalibur ones. I know I read the Wolverine and the Cable issues, cause I actually did kind of like those. Um, mostly cause I really liked Steve Scrooge's art. Oh man, Steve Scrooge. Yeah. Really. Art boner. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this issue, the, the, uh, Gambit. I'm sorry, the Cable issue he did at the end of this, um, wasn't the style I remember. Of his. Well, you know, he, uh, it's kind of weird because his, he'd been on cable for maybe like six, seven issues prior to this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is really early on. And then it doesn't really, I'm trying, let me look at something real quick. Let me figure it out. Who's the anchor on this issue? Uh, yeah, he doesn't, when he gets, um, oh man, Bud LaRosa is the anchor who inked him on X-Man and then, followed him onto X-Man and then onto the uh, Amazing Spider-Man issues that he did. It didn't re- his style didn't really solidify for maybe another like year. Okay. Even the early issues of X-Man sort of look like this issue of Cable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like X-Man number 4, X-Man number 5, like that's where his style really comes into its own. Okay. I did love those issues in Age of Apocalypse though. Yeah. Like they were some of the big highlights for me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I thought that that was much more solid than a lot of the other stuff from that series. What, X-Men? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, well, it was, uh, I say that as I have a little iron cast X-Men toy on my desk, so obviously those are my favorite issues as well. Oh, sweet.
than Generation Next. Yeah. I, I also think it's interesting about Phalanx, uh, the thing that's crazy to me is they, they go to all this trouble in these two, three months to introduce these new characters. And then in four months time, yeah. they kill them off technically. Like they, they, you establish it and then, you know, Labdell and Bacalo, Bacello had to wrap up their first arc in Generation X because the universe came to an end. Yeah. Uh, they would never do that anymore. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't take all this time to give you these new characters and say, well, get used to something else for another four months because they're gone. When you were a kid and you read Age of Apocalypse, did you know it was coming back? You know, uh... Because I didn't. I went into I my, don't know. Like, there was funeral I, dirge music playing when I walked into my comic book shop because I was convinced that was it. I mutilated my toys to make them look like the Age of Apocalypse versions. I was oh, an idiot. Man. I don't know if I knew necessarily, but the fact that they didn't change the entire... It would have been... I mean, look, if they did that story today... They would, it would be a complete reboot of the, uh, Marvel Universe for months, right? Like they would, everything would immediately switch over to whatever yeah. the Age of Apocalypse story was doing today. Um, it would be a universe-wide thing. But back then, it's like, okay, well, Avengers is still going on. So clearly they gotta bring the X-Men back. But, uh, I didn't know how long it was gonna last, but you fi- I knew back then that it wouldn't last forever, at the very least. Can yeah. you imagine if they had never done Age of Apocalypse and then DC did the new 52 and Marvel did Age of Apocalypse like line wide right after the new 52 and then it just ended up being an Age of Apocalypse story. Yeah, that would be messed up. Like it was a fake reboot. I didn't read anything else at the time though other than X-Men. So to me, like Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, it it definitely it felt like the world had ended to me cuz I didn't I wasn't reading Avengers, I wasn't reading uh, Spider-Man or any of that stuff. I was reading all the X-Men books and yeah, it felt like, wow, this is who can, I mean, at that point, who really gave a crap about anything else Marvel was putting out? I mean, X-Men was <laughs> yeah. where it was at. But yeah, it's, it's just amazing to me, this story that they put all this time and effort to introduce these guys and to, you know, in two, really in two issues, they took White Queen from being this crazy villain who takes over Iceman's body. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, they turn her into a good guy immediately, uh, practically. I mean, she wasn't still, she was still sort of like, you know, she could have gone either way, really, uh, back in those early Generation X issues, but. She wasn't evil, she was just bitchy. That's right. Yeah. Well. Which is. She was an independent, sophisticated female, sir. We're telling a story here. Let's, let's, let's tell this story. Um, so this arc in this middle arc. Oh, you're missing the whole blink death. Is yes, blink blink does. It's and been, everyone she sacrifices loves her. herself to save the rest of the team. Did I really jump that far ahead? And then uh, that's the start of Generation X. I love the issue of Uncanny that follows uh, what it would be issue three eighteen, where Jubilee leaves the team. Yes, uh, I love that issue. Yep. All those, like, all the post, they don't ever do that anymore either. Like, have the downtime issue after an event. Because, mm-hmm. like, I love the Thanksgiving issue. I love the issue um, after Executioner Song where um, Jubilee and Xavier rollerblade. Mm-hmm. And Harry <laughs> and Archangel fix, or Hank and Archangel fix Harry's hideaway. 
There was the the down issue after uh, uh, Onslaught where they're all hanging out in the uh, like the back house. Yep. Yeah. That would have been my first comics crush, Jerry. Jean had on a pink bathrobe and she was making pancakes. And I was oh, like, this man. weirdly turns me on. <laughs> another another Joe Madarera classic. Yeah. And uh, the one after this had, what was it, Jean and Scott moving into the boathouse and Gambit was helping him move and Archangel talked to Jubilee about leaving. It's a good... I'm trying to think what else was going on. Oh, and... Beast talked to Skin. They drove around listening to the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. I can't get no satisfaction. It's <laughs> a really good issue. There were movers putting the school together. Good times. X-Men! But yeah, then we get to these middle issues of X-Factor, and it's... Who draws it? Steve oh, and Roger Cruz. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Steve Epstein, I believe, does the the latter half of this issue. Jan Durzema? I don't know who that is. Um, maybe Jan Durzema? Plus, I think none of this... Like, it was... Like, this is how dumb I was as a kid in the 90s, because there's a lot of stuff that I bought because it had an X on it, but probably mm-hmm. got shuffled into a long box and never really read. Like, I'd read the core titles, but then I'd buy X-Factor, and I'd read an issue here, I'd read an issue there. But a lot of this middle part has to do with um, the flanks, you know, contacting Doug Locke and how he helped start this whole thing. And not having much of a, not having a past at all with the New Mutants, I could have cared less about Doug Ramsey. And I didn't really have any affinity towards Warlock either. So this kind of all fell to the wayside. But my Steve Epstein story for you guys that you didn't want me to tell earlier is yeah. I met him in New York Comic Con. And um, if I'm ever going to get a book signed by a creator, I want it to be something that's, like, personally important to me. doesn't matter if it's, like... Because everybody was going up to him, like, with Death of Captain America. Like, he must have signed a million of those. Sure. And I go walking up to the table, and I, uh, I handed him Factor X number one from Generation nice. X. Or from <laughs> Age of Apocalypse. And he looked at me, and he was—he looked at it, and he just goes, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> so, I would ask you the same question, Sean. Yep, yeah. it was the book I chose. None of the because it was like right I during like the right during the like heyday of the Winter Soldier stuff, and I'm just like, "Here's this," and like you could tell it was one of those things where like I think he felt like it wasn't his best work, so he was just kind of like. I don't even want to look at this anymore. I hope that's true. I think a lot of those guys, uh, especially, you know, coming out of this story and then they had four months to prepare for Age of Apocalypse. I mean, at this point, they would have known the Age of Apocalypse is coming down the line that, uh, you know, they were working for like a straight year without any breaks like those Oof. guys. Yeah. This past weekend, I had the fortune of running into Ken Lashley who was co-artist on the Excalibur issue of this run at the Motor City Comic Con. And we had about a 15-minute chat about um, his work in the business, and I made sure to touch on his early career and the work he did on Excalibur. And he shared some stories with me, and I kind of condensed it down to stuff that was relevant 
to this because we've had enough digressions already. So here's a little taste of what we talked about, and I hope you enjoy it. Ken is still active in comics, by the way. He's working for DC now, uh, doing great work over there, as much as it pains me to say. And he can be found on social media under the name Ledkilla, L-E-D-K-I-L-L-A. So go find him. So you did the Excalibur issue. Yep, yes I did. Phalanx cover. Yep. Now, was it you, did you split the issue with acting? Is that my uh, I remember, I didn't think of it. I remember, I don't remember exactly how it was those back things then. were monsters. Yeah, they were pretty big books. Um, I remember, uh, doing, doing that. I remember doing that and, and do, at the time. It was, um, I, th- I think that's a little bit. Doug Lock, Doug, Doug Lock was a big, was a big part of it. And he was uh-huh. like a cybernetic and all that stuff. And I remember, um, funny story. My, my, my neighbor will hate me. We're, we're really good friends and so, so good friends to this day. But he was living, um, below me in the apartment below me and I was leaving. And I had the cover done, and I was leaving to go to FedEx. And he actually said, oh, okay, I see what you're working on. Sure, so I, I showed it to him the cover, and he actually dropped it in the dirt. And he actually dropped it face down into the dirt. And I was like, are you serious? And I picked it up, and there was no damage, no dirt, nothing on that. But, but to this day, every time we have dinner at his house, I go, well, don't give it to his kids now. He's got two boys. And I go, no, don't give your father anything, because he may drop it face down in the dirt, right? You know? So it was fun. But I, mean, but I, I remember doing that, and now... Um, it was one of those tough, it was a tough design gig because it was so much, so much bits. Every time he showed up, it was bits and bits and bits and bits and bits yeah. of stuff, right? But it, it was a fun, it was fun. I mean, some of the characters were kind of weird. There was a the guy with the, had the, the wolf or the dog face. Yeah. And he had, the hood, and he had the hood, and I was like, I did, he was on the cover, but it was a lot of weird stuff, but, it, but it's comics, man. It was yeah. fun. And then you get to draw in comics, it's really fun. So, I mean, I, 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 it was a great experience for me. I was really, it was like first gig I ever had in the business. I think I was in the business maybe a year at that time. I was really looking back at that stuff now. It was all so badly drawn, but still a V, right? You gotta, you gotta live and learn, right? Hey, your stuff was strong even back then. Oh, thanks, mom. But, uh, no, but, but it's no, not. No, no, it's no, not. No. I mean, listen, I can see, I can see with my own eyes. I appreciate <laughs> you saying that, but let's be real, right? Yeah, it is what it is. Relatively speaking, I mean, okay. I mean, there was some stuff. All right. We had some discussion earlier about a certain person that you had an interaction with recently, whose stuff on the Xbox was not as strong as yours back then. Yeah, who's that? Who would that uh, be? I don't know. All I, right, don't remember, I don't remember. Um, All right. Tony Daniel. All right. Uh, yeah, but he was. He was we were both two young guys. He right. was a young guy too. Like he was like so, really young, right? So. So what? How did? How does somebody that new to the business get on <laughs> the biggest me? books in the world? You're asking me? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I really couldn't tell you. I had a look. I liked the look of the stuff I was doing. Um, I came from a... Uh, um, I didn't have a background in sort of doing, doing like, other stuff or whatever. I just... I just, I, I, never, I didn't do another combo beforehand. I didn't have any track record. It was, it was the 90s, man. It was yeah. like... It sounds like I'm saying it like the 60s. It was like the 60s, man. But, it, but it was, the 90s was... It was a crazy time, you know, like, if you could draw a little bit, you know, you, you'll get in the business. If you could draw a little bit better than most, you'll get a better book. If you could draw pretty good, you'll get a really good book, and that's kind of what happened. I would, they looked at my stuff, they said I could fit in. I mean, I went from the first day, I got Excalibur, right off the bat. I had no idea what I was, had to draw a group book. I mean, I've never done a page before. The first book I ever did was issue 70. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And, and then by the time I got to the, to that, the balance, it was like, like was that's only like five issues after that or seven issues after that. Maybe maybe within the first year I was doing those books. So it's weird when I see them now because it's like 
Yeah, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but it was it's great to know that you know I, I'm, I'm you know just 20 years later and I'm still I'm still doing comics and I'm enjoying it and you know we're gonna work on Superman and all that stuff. But but that stuff was really an amazing opportunity for me as an artist. Um, and it was also intimidating because you work with uh, we even know is that the Kubricks were on those books. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like we were yeah. definitely the B team, man. <laughs> like, I was the B of the B team, right? Like, we're like the C team. So I mean, it was. I mean, and they would. Um, uh, I remember Harris. Harris was, would send me photocopies of Kubrick's work uh-huh. and saying and saying stuff like, "Check it out. This is your competition." I mean, like, it really kind of, you know, you really got to step up, right? Wow. Like, wow. So, but it was tough, but it was cool, you know. Enjoyed it. So, was it? Did it feel cutthroat at the time, or was it no, just that, like everybody's never, got a job and we're all, we're all good? Uh, yeah, it was. It was everyone. Yeah, I was never. It's not really like that in comics. I mean, I, I've been very fortunate. I've never had to worry about. That kind of thing. I know there's a lot of stuff out there like that where you hear, you hear the horror stories of, you know, but I've, I've never had that. That's not, that's not my my existence. But at the same time, I know it's a business, and I know that I've been very fortunate with my abilities, so I, I've been able to get work and continue to work and come and go in the comic business as I see fit. But if I weren't drawing comics, I don't. If I, if I want to draw a bigger book, I can kind of just put the word out that I'm, I want to do some work and I'll, I'll get something kind of cool. It, 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 but I mean, I've been very fortunate, and I've been very fortunate. I have a very, I have a very commercial look to my stuff, so mm-hmm. that's why I, I get those kind of really, you know, you can see me, like you, know, you can make money with my stuff, basically, right? right? So, I mean, and that's really what the problem is. A lot of guys get in and they, that can't come and go like that, so because I myself very commercial, right? I know that. Um, well, one look at this Emma Foster drawing for me right now, and it's yeah. easy to see. You've grown in 20 years. I hope so. You know, you really, you really hope that you have. Like, I mean, it, it's difficult when you, when you haven't. But <laughs> it's one of those things where I, I would hope so after that <laughs> many years that I, I'm, I'm getting be- good enough to do interesting things. You know. Well, I haven't even got to the good part yet. The good part? Yeah, it's not even there yet. Oh, I anticipate it. That's how it works. We've kind of developed this reputation as being a creepy guy who falls in love with comic book characters but that's always probably all of our first questions well my first question was not a was not a was, was, a, was a comic character everyone's first one was probably if so you're in it I want to hear more about that yeah you know, like, you know, there, there probably was you know, I, mean, I thought I mean I watched Minnesota I thought Betty was hot I mean I, mean, yeah. I, just, I just thought so I just thought you know she's really attractive you know what I mean I thought Mrs. Incredible was kind of cute she was a lot like my wife it's kind of weird you know, but, but the same haircut saying you know so I was like that's kind of weird but yeah I, everyone's like wow she's cute like you, you, you do that right you right. do that there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's no way around it uh, my, my first real crush was was uh, definitely uh, Miss Marvel. I thought she was cool. The, the costume was cool. The red and the one, the one or before uh, the red, the red and the red and red and red and blue one. Yeah. You know, that was. Yeah. I, I thought that was cool. Man. I remember. I remember. I remember watching. I remember getting a book and going and just being so. Oh, that's cool and liking it. Right. I thought she was. I thought she was attractive. You just thought she was attractive, right? Yeah. And that's weird, but that's kind of what you thought, right? Yeah. Like somewhere, this is this is real somewhere, I guess, right? <laughs> it's so weird. It's real right here in your heart. That's, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. But it is. I mean, it is. Well, damn, I'm glad that came up. That's good. Because that's what, you know, I just innocently made a comment that as a 10-year-old, I had a crush on, I don't even remember who it was, but yeah, it turned into like a running joke. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I don't 
I, I think it is. It is what it is. You know what I mean? But every, everyone, I don't care what, what you say, but everyone had a crush on somebody. You know why? Because you see a thousand slave layers at a comic convention. So don't tell me that every single guy was like, oh, we're just layers, oh, we're just layers. It'd be like everyone. You know, it was the first movie you saw with a, with a woman in it. Come on. The thing that astonishes me is that every single one of these books is like 40-something pages long. Yeah. Yeah, they're exercised. First of all, completely unnecessary. You know, if they they had all that space, they didn't really do anything with it. Yeah, we don't need that much Forge. <laughs> hey, I like Forge. I I'm not complaining about Forge. <laughs> I'm just saying we don't need that much Forge. Well, he, he pretty much was just window dressing. He didn't do much. But, uh... Yeah, it's just just way too long, and uh, and I can't imagine how taxing that would have been on the artists. That's why some of these issues here in the middle have uh, dual artists on the issues, just trying to fill in the gaps. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to pick apart like where one guy's stuff ends and another begins, but um, it just all looks bad to me, and I can't tell. <laughs> I was doing the same thing earlier. I'm like, what? Where does uh, where does it stop and where does it start? I can't really. It's hard to pick it out. I think everybody pretty much draws the phalanx stuff really cool. Everybody makes it look great. But some of the figure work and uh, the anatomy on some of these people and their faces are, ooh. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, looking back, you know, I would have been looking at these and being like, oh, man, I wish I could draw that good. And now, like, looking at this stuff, it's like, I draw better than that now. Like, I could have drawn X-Force back then. Yeah. For sure. You just grew up in the wrong decade. That's all. I did. I mean, I did. Honestly, you probably would have had a job drawing X-Men back then. Pretty sure that Polaris shot is your comic crush. Right. Yeah, there is no shortage of ass shots in these books. (laughs) Everybody is looking over their shoulder. Guys, women, robots. It's the Rob Liefeld school of art. That's right. I mean, I just read these, and I can't tell you guys that much about these middle issues. Well, the middle issues is just that uh, Doug Ramsey comes back as this Doug Lock, and uh, Rain is really excited to see him. Oh, and we see X Factor and uh, X and X Force mixed together, and it's really weird and awkward, and they don't seem to like each other very much, except for Wolfsbane and Cannonball. I thought it had some good moments for like Havoc to be in a leadership role and kind of put the kids in their place a little bit. Yeah. Which was good, I thought. And I tried to look at the, um, when I was rereading these, I tried to look at these a little bit more from like where you would be reading them from if you weren't such a cold-hearted bastard and hate everything from the 90s. (laughs) But like when Doug came back, I was like, I really want to try to feel what Cannonball's going through. Like how would I feel if one of my friends came back from the dead but he was a weird robot? Yeah, so the whole thing is that Rain instantly trusts him and is excited to see him alive and cannonball's like this is bullshit i mean that's that's basically 40 pages of them just reaffirming their yeah their positions but i the thing i really love about this is that you get all those characters in one book yeah you know hanging out and talking arguing bickering everything but playing baseball yep if only yeah justin baseball fan i like it Oh yeah, and uh, I believe I didn't. Uh, I, I, I we're definitely sharing the first place right now. So, the Miami Marlins. <laughs> Good luck. 
Uh, I think we have the ability to become the wild card team in that division. I'm rooting for you. I want you to do it by building a team instead of buying one. Uh, th- tell me who's been bought on that team. Nobody. That's right. Right now. That's right. So, That's I mean, why it's, I'm it's, it's a team. It's a team full of nobodies, just like the 2003 World Series team. So, I think that uh that bodes well. Well, you had Cabrera on 2003 team. You had, but he was a rookie. He they we he he was a mid season replacement. They brought him up. Yeah. He was fresh. Oh, he was fresh. All right. It's 2003, man. Good old days. You know what happened in 2003 for my team? We lost 120 games. That's what happened to my team. Ouch. Look at you guys now. Yeah. So, back to the real stuff. Comics. What else do we want to say about this? I don't we basically this. have Doug Lock hang out with Cannonball, Wolfsbane, and Forge. And uh, there's some strong, strong guy moments. That's cool. There were honestly, I know this is gonna sound weird, but the strong guy moments were actually really good. I didn't know how much that guy cared about Xavier. Like that guy really, like. Yeah, where does that come from? I, I don't know. That's why I'm excited about the reread because there's clearly there's a lot of stuff in the '90s where I was like reading Uncanny and I was reading X-Men, but I was buying everything else, which probably drove my parents nuts because they had no idea that I wasn't reading it. And I was just filing it away for some time when I wouldn't have time. It was like my younger self knew that one day I'd come across you and you'd be like, want to do this podcast where we reread everything? I was like, yes. You knew. I love that, um, they're all, they're all here and they, they don't all want to kill each other and they're all working on the same team against a bad guy instead of each other. Yep. I do miss that time period of the X-Men where they didn't just fight each other. I want this again, but drawn better and written better. Go, Justin, do it. I, well, I, I think the art and the story right now in all new X-Men and Uncanny X-Men's awesome. I mean, I know they're fighting each other, but, you know. It is pretty good. It's, it's, I think it's some of the best stuff they've ever done. I agree. Clearly, you know, not the nostalgia trip that this is, but. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, true. I have no to, bone claws, Wolverine. I have to admit, though, how you were talking earlier about all new X Men and kind of, I, I did feel that Bendis at least gave it the best shot of introducing those kids in a way that felt natural and traditional to the way that it's usually done. They weren't just immediately in the school. It was like Scott went out and found. They were popping up on Cerebro, yeah. and he went out and picked them up and saved them. So I mean, yeah, it felt sort of. It had definitely the nostalgia of, you know, the 90s. The only one that I was, like, excited about, like, when I was finished reading the issue was the one that introduced Morph. Because I was like, is that Morph? Like, is that the Morph that I think about from the cartoon? Or is that, like, a dude that you're just giving the codename Morph to as, like, a wink and a nod to the fans? And I still have not gotten my answer. I think the second thing. Yeah. Wink and nod. Don't ruin it for me, Jerry. <laughs> Time will tell. So some Bone Claws Wolverine. Bone Claws. Yeah, I was going to say that I thought that these last two issues were probably my favorite art. Well, you got Adam Kubert, and then you got Steve Scross, but uh, this Wolverine issue is so wordy. Yeah. It is beyond wordy. <laughs> this is my boy Larry Hama. 
I had some some terse words for him after reading that bone claws stuff. Well, this was part of that. Well, this is at the tail end of it, right? Yep. Well, well this is issue. Like what issue is 87. this? Eighty-seven. Yeah, so you got another thirteen issues before he oh, gets his 85. adamantium. Uh, yeah, fifteen issues plus the four of uh, Age of Apocalypse. So you're still like two and a half years away. Whew. That'd be like two solid months right now. Yeah, when we had Don Cardenas on, we talked about this episode, but Jerry didn't make it this far into the Wolverine run. He quit out of anger. Did we go this far? We did. <laughs> but you stopped reading. That's right. <laughs> it wouldn't have made any sense. Because wasn't this... This isn't... No, this... It was the one after he gets... It's after um, Fatal Attractions where he gets the metal pulled out of his bones where it's the 35-page plane crash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Um, oh, you know, I do rem- remember commenting on how a plane crashes in this issue, too. Yep. Well, it never actually crashes, right? It's about to crash, and then Wolverine jumps out. He lands it. Yeah, he lands It does not crash in this one. Not at least on page. Right. It's implied, maybe. It's implied that that plane is going to crash. Oh, that plane is a goner. I did like the, the Stephen Lang, Cameron Hodge stuff. I like the fact that Stephen volunteered for the Phalanx thing to try to help out. He thought it was going to help. He didn't think that it was going to be bad that they were taken away. Mutants. Like I said, it's real. I think for these two issues, you kind of almost had to read. I think the way this is collected in a trade, because I mean, I have all the single issues, but I go back and buy all the crossovers and in paperback and hardcover. Um, it's easy to carry around. Uh, I think that you kind of needed to read the Cyclo- Adventures of Cyclops Phoenix miniseries to kind of get a ton out of this. Yeah, they uh in the um the cable issue yeah. especially. Yeah, they they really touch upon they they have a lot of flashbacks to the that those four issues for sure, for sure. Uh, one thing I thought was really cool is that um Cable is kind of having flashbacks to um you know, uh Gene is saying things to him and he's having flashbacks to uh Red saying the same thing to a younger him, and and I thought that was really cool. But then they they do a kind of a astral plane attack on on the phalanx, and um, Gene is wearing that uh, gladiator helmet that Professor X wore every time he went into the astral plane. I thought that was a really cool nod to to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if. She, like, had she ever manifested that in an earlier issue? I don't remember ever seeing her in the astral plane before. I don't, I, I never recalled it, and I don't even think she used it afterwards during the, uh, the lead up to the onslaught stuff when she was battling, uh, Xavier on the astral plane. I don't even think she had that helmet then. Yeah. So this could just be an Adam Kubert, uh, decision. Well, I like it. It's a pretty good one. This is a good-looking book, and he draws the shit out of Cable. He sure does. Yeah, he really draws Cable really good. Missed opportunity, I think, for him to be on that book. Yeah, the the giant shoulder cannon yeah. thing. I love that thing. I wish he had that instead of his fake robot arm that he's got now in the new Cable book. Bring this back again. 
That's uh, that's all done. Oh wait, the plane doesn't crash. Gene yeah. catches the plane. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there it is. It crashes. Yeah. There were a lot of plane crashes no, and building I... crashes during this particular run. <laughs> Puck hiding in walls. <laughs> yeah. I think. Do they crash it? They nope. They do crash it. They just crash it in cable. Okay. Yeah, because they they're going to need it for two issues, so they're saving it. So it, yep. so this is actually a two issue plane crash as opposed it is. to a thirty a slow burn. <laughs> right. Nice slow burn, guys. There is nothing more dramatic than a plane crash. If the news hasn't taught you that over the last couple months, I don't know how you're ever going to learn it. Too soon. Nah. I'm sorry. <laughs> But yeah, the plane crashes there in a cable. Yeah. And Steve Scrooge draws the hell out of that too. He was so good. This is just so different looking than anything else. You know, everybody at the time was trying to draw like Jim Lee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Rob Liefeld, and this is so unique. You know what's funny? When I was looking at it earlier today, before we started, uh, as I was thumbing through it, and I, I made, you know, I noticed this before, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and recently even looking through this stuff, that uh, it has the feeling not of like a superhero book, like of the '90s. It looks like uh, an indie superhero book that maybe would be put out today. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's definitely it. It does not fit with the rest of the stuff, but that's okay because, I mean, he's still a great artist and pulls it off, but it's the most unique looking next to, I mean, him and Joe Matarera, uh, you know, uh, they definitely have the most unique styles out of all these guys mm-hmm. in the storyline. Yeah. As a kid, I so badly wanted one of those X-Men jackets that they're wearing. <laughs> the green ones? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they all look really cool wearing those jackets. They do. A precursor to those leather jackets they would eventually wear together. Ooh, sorry, Sean. Uh, never liked the those, leather look. Uh, those leather jackets are awesome, too. You know what I liked, and Sean probably hates this, too, but when Quietly was drawing the book, those those ribbed turtlenecks that everybody had on underneath. Oh, yeah. I thought that yeah, was yeah, so yeah. cool. Yeah, it was really... those. The, the entire style of New X-Men was awesome. Whether you like the story or not, the art was always top-notch. But if you can't want, if you don't want those jackets, these green military army jackets they've got rocking here, somehow with X Men patches all over them, that's right, are uh, pretty pretty rocking. There's got to be a way we can do this. You just go to an army surplus. Do they still make yeah. jackets like this yeah. in an army? Surplus? Sure, absolutely. You just literally you need two big X Men patches for the sleeves, and then one small one for the uh, chest, and you're good to go. Done. Hell yeah. Let's do it. We'll start our cosplay. Is that? Yeah. Cosplay nothing, I'm gonna join the team. There you go. Legitimate like. Balding is a superpower, right? Uh, I would hope so. <laughs> That's the way I explain it. He doesn't look like that. He, no, he might with hair, but he's rocking the bald look now. Justin, I think you still had hair when I saw you, but. No, I, no, I, I've been. You probably just I, had a ball cap on, huh? I just had a ball cap on, though. I've been shaving my head since uh, 2005, 2006. Oh, yeah. It was not that long ago. <laughs> we met. Yeah, huh? <laughs> I had a beard, though. That's probably oh, what, if you're remembering hair. That's probably what it was. I just assumed it went all the way up. No, it goes all the way down, but not all the way up. Nice. Gross. Sorry. Gross. 
That's so gross. That's so gross. But yeah, the, the, it's, I, I find it just interesting that, you know, they bring Cyclops and Jean Grey and Wolverine clearly who at that point in, in the, you know, X-Men universe and the Marvel universe are the big heavy hitters of, of these books. And they literally are in the last two issues, which are not really connected to the main story all that much. They're off doing their own thing. Yeah. I, I think it made the whole thing unique that they, you know, those guys just show up at the end. Yeah, I still can't get over the fact that, like, Gambit and Rogue Storm are just completely out of the story. You know, it's just... They're, they're there in the splash page, and let's see, that's two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pages, they appear, like, seven more pages and the story's over. They appear at the last, yeah, the last half of that book. Nuts. Bold. That's what it is. It's a bold decision. And for Doctor Who fans, Gambit says L on Z. Just so you know. Just <laughs> I just thought that was French. Just I was like, throw oh. that out there. Those, that is just French. I know. But okay. And he, he is Cajun. So, good guys win. Yay, good guys. I will take your word for it because I didn't make it to the end. You bastard. And then at the end, they show on the other side of the galaxy, a shadowy, phalanxy-looking dude with devil horns. I have no idea who this is. Yeah, I don't recall this. Uh, I don't. I mean, they never picked this story up, so clearly I, any one of the writers currently could pick it up and run with it. I bet yeah, Abnett and Lanning did during Annihilation. Killed him in the first page or something. Well, <laughs> just to tie up the loose end. <laughs> Cleaning house. Yeah. You see him die like in the corner of a splash page somewhere. <laughs> I'm gonna go look when I get home. You should. So in this trade that I've got of the Flanks Covenant, they actually give you the first page uh, or the first issue of Generation X. Oh, nice. And I love Pacello Bacalo, every style that he draws in. But I miss this style. Everybody's yeah. kind of thin and kind of gangly, like teenagers. Yeah, and now he's got a, his style. There is definitely, you know, very cool back then. Yeah, I like the costumes. I thought the costumes were great. The red. Yeah. Yeah. With the the yellow uh, boots everyone had. I mean, they looked like a team. It was awesome. An end plate creeped me out, and I was so happy when they brought him back. It must have been, it was, I think it was Uncanny. I'm not 100% sure if it was Uncanny or X-Men, but, um. The, it might have been Legacy, because Rogue, oh, yes. Rogue was in yes, it. Yes, it was. And it was the first time that I'd ever really paid attention to Daniel Acuna art. Oh and, yeah, I forgot and he it was, was on that. And it was like I didn't like his art to begin with, and that's the story that sold me on Akuna's artwork because it was like just creepy enough. And I was like reading it in my house alone at night, where it kind of like creeped me out. And I was like, oh, I haven't had this feeling like since I was a kid, like you know. Mm-hmm. And and so that turned the corner for Akuna art for me it was an end plate story. Well, good. I was like, I, I, I guess I didn't know who he was because my first memory of, of his name was that, uh, Black Widow miniseries that was probably well after uh, that. 
That's where I was like, holy shit, this guy's good. But he was a known commodity by then. What do I know? Chamber was so damn cool, too. People need to go back and read those first 25 issues of Generation X, because they were great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Eh, you could go up to, like, issue 31, 32, yeah. when James Robinson took over writing, where they uh, deal with Skin's past there in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. That was post-Onslaught. Uh, um, yes. Uh, no, I, that was way post-Onslaught. That was um, was that post uh, that was post Operation Zero Tolerance. Okay. Yeah, that is a good-looking book. It is. I'm telling you. His, uh, yeah, it's his his style now is uh, really cool and unique, but sometimes it's very muddy, and this is not that. Like all the all the panels where he's drawing end plate. I think that looks more like the work he does now. It's just, um, it looks awesome, but it's really busy. But like, yeah, yeah, he's the hotness man. I mean, it's just back then. I think I could tell everything that was going on in his panels, and then once Generation Next hit in Age of Apocalypse, he started to do this thing where he would draw like animals in the background, even if they weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> and I know it was a running gag for some time that he would like. It was him. He he did it for a while because they had Howard the Duck show up in the book at some point. <laughs> and then I think like Lionel Yu did the same thing where he started to put. Howard the Duck in the background of panels, specifically during Secret Invasion. Yeah. Weird. I think, I, the, I mean, yeah, he, Bacalo Bacello, uh, is, uh, he's hard, he's hard to follow uh, sometimes because I think he, I don't, he's not like a traditional superhero artist, you know? Yeah. Like he, I think he very much is like abstract with the shapes and he plays with the, the space and stuff. And I know people are kind of turned off to some of his uncanny run right now. Uh, and some stuff that he's done even before that recently where he's, you know, coloring his own stuff and it just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't pop like it used to. And that has a lot to do with just him getting older and, and changing his style. But yeah, I think undisputed, like those first four issues of generation X, those four issues of generation X, and then those two issues of Generation X after Age of Apocalypse are uh, some of the most beautifully drawn superhero books of all time. Yeah, yeah, it's good looking stuff. And I'll I'll say that I I really dig what he's doing on Uncanny right now. I do too. Um, there was oh I love it, but I know people don't. Yeah, well if if some I was going to complain, I complain about some of his earlier like the the stuff he did with Claremont, the um what do we call it? the the Fall of Greys that we were talking oh, about. Oh yeah, yeah. Um that was a mess to me. And when he came on Spider-Man and kind of reimagined uh the reptile. Oh yeah, yeah, the um, lizard story. The oh, fuck. You see I've been reading too much X-Men. I can't even remember the lizard. Uh yeah, we drew him like an iguana. Some of that was a, a mess to me. But I think this uncanny stuff right now is yeah, is really good. I'm happy that it, like He's still around and still a big play, you know. Yeah, like it's it's one of the artists from when I was a kid. So, yep. And for the most part, all these guys that uh, we, I, I, I won't say we that I kind of laugh at reading some of these issues, you know, were just kids getting started, and they're like the biggest names in comics now. Yeah, you know, you almost can't even tell sometimes that they're the same guy anymore. So I know that I didn't. It didn't appear that this story 
had a lot going on, but it does, and I think that you should, uh, everybody should check it out. Blast Cherub Rock. Fucking put on some baggy corduroy pants. There you go. go to town on some Phalanx Covenant. <laughs> yeah, I would, I, I have the, uh, I just recently purchased the, uh, it's not an omnibus, but it's the collected hardcover edition that Marvel put out, uh, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, it's got a bunch of, uh, uncanny issues leading up to the story and Excalibur issues sort of fleshing out the, uh, Douglock yeah. stuff. So, you know, if you, that would be the, if you want to get it all in one fell swoop, that would be, the, I would I would definitely recommend this hardcover that they just put out for sure. Now I gotta with a nicely recolored Andy Kubert or Adam Kubert cover. Ooh, looks really nice. nice, really slick. Yeah, the issue of Wolverine, the cover from that issue, they recolored and used as the uh, cover here. Awesome, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Nineties, I loved it. Not my strength, but it's entertaining as hell. When we get to those See, Gene Nation issues, no. Uncanny 325, <laughs> really, this is awesome. They play baseball in that issue. Oh, dude, issue 325 is maybe one of my favorite single issues of a comic ever produced. Yeah, it's really good. Wow. That Storm's a badass. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Storm's <laughs> you, Yeah, but, but you got to hand it to her in that issue. Yeah, she was no. a badass. She was badass in that issue, but I mean, you know, that cover was awesome too. Yeah. I folded out twice and had some hollow foil on it. And, uh, the, uh, X-Men issue that followed that one with Gambit and Rogue and Mr. Sinister. Yep. That was good stuff, man. Yeah, you find out a secret past X-Men 45. Yeah. See, Jerry, I was like, when we're going over the John Byrne stuff and all like the classic stuff, I've read it all, but like I only read it once. Kind of right. a few years ago, once I completed my collection, I went through like the 200s. So all that stuff is kind of really hazy to me, and I have to really pay attention. But a lot of the 90s stuff, I read it so much as a kid. That it's oh, yeah. Just like, you can talk about that Iceman and Rogue road trip for days. And you use their powers, and it was so great. Rogue <laughs> running around, and Daisy Dukes teasing everybody, oh. and Bobby's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stands an asshole. It's good stuff. Graydon Creed's running for president. They beat the shit out of Bobby's dad because they find out that him and Cannonball have infiltrated the uh, presidential campaign. There's that issue of that, of the, being bedside in the hospital. Yep. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah, that that was a game material back then for sure. Is that all Lobdell? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Sean's crush. Someday, someday we hope to have him on the show. I will lose my mind. I don't know what I'll say to the man. You'll have to figure something because I'll be pulling a Farley. <laughs> remember? He probably, the sad thing is he probably doesn't remember. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's like, dude, I've had three careers since then. Remember when you had Executioner sneak into the mansion and Banshee and Cable and Scott had to fight him? And there was a bachelor party going on. I love that. Yeah. And he'll be like, I gotta go. <laughs> and I'll be like remember Generation X number 4 you know what I really want you to read Jerry is X-Men Prime it was the issue that came after Age of Apocalypse when everything got back to normal oh, Okay. and it was early Brian Hitch artwork yep it was actually a ton of there were a ton of people in it but I remember and I mean it's a fucking heavy story 
Hmm. Kid gets beat to death right on Xavier's doorstep, which is what starts the whole... That's basically like the last straw for the whole onslaught thing. Okay. It's really good. I probably would have read it if I had time. Getting through Age of Apocalypse was some heavy lifting. There was a lot of issues. A lot of issues. I almost made it, though. Last time I reread Age of Apocalypse... No, I, I didn't got, make I it. I got the flu, so I read it all in oh, nice. one sitting. Did you get the omnibus? Mar- there is an omnibus, right? Yeah. Mar- well, I was just going to say Marvel... Yeah, they put out the omnibus, and it's in chronological order, so it's kind of frustrating. Yep. Like, you can't read all of this, you know, X-Man in order and... You have to go through each issue one and each issue two. But then they just put out the uh, companion, Age of Apocalypse companion omnibus. So that's like uh, all the uh, X-Men Chronicle issues and a bunch of extra stuff that, you know, they've done post during that time and then after that time, too. What was the title that covered all the um, I don't, I don't I shouldn't say ancillary characters, but like Captain America, the Avengers. And, X-Men Chronicles. Uh, oh, that was Chronicles. No, that was World X, wasn't it? Or something. Oh, uh, yeah. Like Nation I think, X, maybe? Uh, I think, was it World X? I thought uh, it was the X-Men Chronicles thing. Because that was like the, the X-Men Unlimited title. Uh, well, that, was, that, that, that dealt with um, Colossus. And, uh, some of those, the, the, one of those was a Colossus issue. Uh, and there was only two of them. Okay. I'm looking it up. Let me get Cause it. I, I know that they dealt with like Ben, like Ben Grimm was human. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And I think they all were working with like Emma Frost and like the, um, like the, everybody in London that was like gonna launch the bombs. Yeah. Yep. That were gonna destroy. And that's why I never wanted, cause see to me, Age of Apocalypse is a big deal because I felt like it ended. And I felt like those characters were, like, they were the, like, epitome of Xavier's dream because they were willing to sacrifice everything that they had for the hopes that there'd be some other timeline that was better. So when they went back at, like, the 10-year anniversary and did that miniseries, and, like, they, I think the only new character that they introduced was, like, the Age of Apocalypse version of X-23. I hated that miniseries because it took place a year after the Age of Apocalypse, like, in their time. Like, it was one year after the fall of Apocalypse, and everything was back to normal, yep. practically. Yeah. It's like, no, that makes no sense. I, I, I love the art, hated the story. Yeah. Uh, and the, the comic was called X-Universe. Oh, all right. Ah. Yeah, and I mean, and here's the thing. I loved when Remender went back for the Dark Angel saga. Because that story was really good in Uncanny X-Force. But I'm still not a fan of anybody kind of messing around in the age. Like, when they released that title that was only, like, 12 issues, that was, like, the human resistance side uh-huh. of Age of Apocalypse, I was just like, Because eh. I just thought the ending was so... Yeah. I wanted them all to... I know it sounds awful, but I wanted them all to die. Yeah. Like, I kind of wanted it to end, and, like, hey... Because plus, reading that month to month, like, by the time that I actually saw our, like, in the very last X-Men Omega, when you saw our bishop, like, confront the Age of Apocalypse bishop, I was so happy to see our bishop that I was like, oh my god, there they all are. (laughs) See, we still talked about the Age of Apocalypse. We snuck it in. I got it in. While we're on the subject of a, a future possible timeline ending... In the last episode, we brief, well, we didn't briefly, we, for three hours, we talked about, um, the, um, oh god, 
This is happening. I'm Days waking. of Future Past. Jesus buddy. Christ. Oh, that was scary. We talked about the Days of Future Past and, uh, and we, Sean had mentioned, uh, that Byrne hated the, the panel at the end where, uh, Claremont mentions that, uh, Kate Pride kisses Kitty Pride as they pass each other going back to the bodies they're supposed to be in. And, um, it made me sad to hear him say that. And, uh, or to hear Sean say that Burns said it to be more specific, I guess. But anyway, so Justin, do you have an opinion on that? The idea of having a more open-ended end like you have in Days of Future Past the versus reason, more. Cause you need to explain why Burn didn't like it. Byrne didn't like it because having the older Kate kind of pass through and, and give a kiss on the forehead to the younger Kitty meant that the timeline still existed of Days of Future Past, and he wanted it to end and them to, like, fix the problem. Like, they fixed it in the But Claremont chose to leave it open-ended. I mean, I think... Uh, I like both ideas, right? Where, like, this is a possible future that we're leading to... So you're always looking for clues of are you heading towards that way? But you know, Age of Apocalypse definitely when X Men Omega those last few pages where the bombs were dropping and yeah. it all went to white. It's like wow, that those you you learn to love Magneto for the first time. There's a bunch of characters in there that you you know like you hated Havoc because yeah. he was a bad guy. Like I mean, just. All, all, how they changed it all, and then you, you spent those four months, five months with those characters, like, uh, you know, changing your minds about them, and then they died, and it's like, wow, it really, it hits you maybe more in a way that it's like, oh, maybe this still could happen. Like, you're like, ah, oh, I really like that dark future. It'll happen. It's coming. Yeah. Whereas Age of Apocalypse was like, it's over. That sucks. Age of Apocalypse was the thing that got me to like Quicksilver. Yeah. I felt like Quicksilver and Banshee were two standouts in that, series where they like completely kind of flipped them on their end and like I really liked Quicksilver the most out of pretty much anybody in that. Yeah. He really for sure. up. and that X Men Omega had so many great when Magneto says I'm concentrating and he pulls Apocalypse apart. Fuck, that was so good. <laughs> so good. The thing that there were so many like bad puns, like X Men jams that shard of the Emcron crystal. And like he makes some like Holocaust makes some reference to like I don't know I lost it but there's ah. some good puns in that issue yeah good puns just think though what Claremont could have done if he had had four books that he could write for four months and tell Days makes, of Future Past but that's him. what makes Days of Future Past so awesome is it's even like the most hardened of cynical comic book fan can be like fucker did a lot in two issues I agree like that's, yeah, no other option. Yeah, yeah, that's why I think in in when you're just doing it in two issues, I think I like the more open ended um, ending because uh, you don't like the the whole thing with um, the way Age of Apocalypse ended was that you had that chance to like really hammer home that their world is ending, the bombs are coming, you know, and they're saying goodbye to each other, and they're like, "Well, we sacrificed ourselves so that none of this would happen." And uh and I don't think he could have done that in two pages at the end of Days yeah, of Future no. Past. So I'm kind of I like the way it ended. I think. Yeah, for sure. I guess I I brought the whole thing up just so that I could say that because I didn't get to say that in the last episode. Sorry. That's all right, Jerry. Justin, you pay the price. That's fine. I understand. <laughs> so what else? else? Do we have anything else to say about this? 
We've kept you on for two hours now. I feel bad. I know. You should be out having dinner with your girlfriend, not discussing a good four issues, mediocre three issues, slightly all right two issues. (laughs) Sorry, I'll just give her a back rub later and all will be forgiven. All right. Well, if you ever have to apologize to me for anything, I look forward to a back rub. Oh, I'll I'll give you one, man. All right. Hey-oh. I like it. Tell us about what you are working on and what we can see from you in the near future and the far future. Well, recently I just finished uh, the third volume of Very Near Mint. Uh, So that is currently out and available. And then I literally just put the wraps on uh, a companion book to Very Near Mint called Very Near Mint Secret Files, which deals (laughs) with um, all my... uh, I, I created the characters back in high school in 1997, so I have a ton of art from 97 to currently where a lot of people haven't ever seen any of this stuff with the characters that are in the three volumes of the book. So I put it all together in sort of chronological order so you can see the characters grow and my art get less and less crappy over time. Um, so uh, that will be out in June. Uh, so you can pick those up at verynearmint.com. That'll take you to the Facebook page, and then there's like a little store button and stuff. And if yeah, if, you, if you're a fan of X-Men, if you're a fan of comics... Um, my comic is sort of like a love letter to, uh, the comic book industry, both the fan side and the creator side. I can't really get into details about the creator side because it gives away, uh, <laughs> plot points of volume three. But, um, and then, uh, what else is coming up? Um, I'm doing work in Mad Magazine currently. Yes. So, uh, awesome. the, the last three issues of Mad Magazine have featured some of my art, uh, unsure of uh, this coming month's issue. I haven't been contacted yet, so I'm sure that'll be on the way. And, um, yeah, I'll just be going to comic conventions. Uh, you can find me at Phoenix Comic Con in June. Then I'll be at uh, Special Edition New York uh, in yes. New York City. I will see you And there. I'll also, yeah, I'll be, I'll be there. I'll have my table. And I'll be at Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the middle of June. So three conventions... Three conventions in like two and a half weeks. Oh my god. And a mural in between. What are you really doing one while all that's going on? Yeah, I'm, so I go to Phoenix, I get back from Phoenix, I, uh, have like maybe four days before I have to go to New York for the convention. Uh, that's on a Saturday, Sunday. Then the, that, the next following weekend after Special Edition New York is Heroes Con. That week in between New York and Heroes, I have to do a mural in Charlotte. Oh, well, I guess at least the location is well-timed. Yes. I mean, well, for right now, it's well-timed. It could be pushed back, which would be fine. As long as it's not pushed forward, it'll be all right. <laughs> right. But uh, right now, yeah, so it worked out. Worked out well. Yeah, there's actually, uh, uh, if anyone's going to be in Charlotte for uh, Heroes Con, I have a, uh, uh, one of my murals is in the is in Charlotte, in the Charlotte area. So you can look up tijuanaflats.com and get the uh, directions to that. And go get some tacos. Awesome! I'm gonna yes. do it. With dude, we I let's go. If you're gonna be there, let's go. Yeah, I'll take you there. Let's do it. Yeah. Now I'm gonna have yeah. my wife and kids with me. That's fine. We can go. I mean, it's kid friendly. I've, they can draw on the uh, table. Uh, like the kids' menus are stuff that I've drawn, so they can color some of my own artwork. That's It'll awesome. be fun. Oh, dude, that's yeah. awesome! I can't wait. Yeah, man. We will make this happen. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it because you're one of my favorite people in comics, sir. Thank Seriously, you. I can't stress how much I enjoyed Very Near Mint. 
And, I, and I'm, like Jerry said, I mean, I, you don't know the depths of it, but I am like 100% Marvel. <laughs> and Jerry was like, trust me, you'll like this. And I was like, uh, so. I mean, I, I, anyone out there listening, I want to stress that I do touch on other things other than Marvel comics. Right. But, uh, I grew up reading Marvel. I still read Marvel. So the, uh, you know, all my heroes drew Marvel and still draw Marvel comics. So, I mean, yeah, it's clearly a heavy Marvel comic. Uh, influenced humor book, but I, I touch upon Star Wars here and there, and, and DC Comics and other nerd culture stuff. So, yeah. Do you think? Um, well, thanks. But yeah, verynearmint.com, or you can check out my art at justinpeterson.net. Don't go to dot com. Don't. It, it used to be. A, it used to be a Japanese Viagra website. <laughs> it's. I, I wish I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> the guy wants like twenty five thousand dollars for the website. I obviously don't have that money to pay him. Son of a bitch. Yep. So dot net, not dot com. Dot net. That's not so it's bad. Dot com. There's, there's a store in our website. area that's not the shop that Jerry and I frequent. And for a weekend, right around Free Comic Book Day a few years ago, their website redirected you to a Russian porn website. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yep, kids were calling in, like parents calling in, complaining. Oh no, nice. I don't know how it happened, but I have a feeling our friends at our shop might have had something to do with it. <laughs> no, <laughs> they know about computers there. Seems like some shenanigans that would be in my book. Yeah, more. Those are more free story ideas for you. Yeah, I'll take those. Them, won't yeah. cost you anything. <laughs> I expect in very near mint to Gregor to show up. <laughs> I'm gonna do something with that. I, I, that's a funny idea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out a way to do that. I'm, I'm gonna do a, uh, full color, um, uh, 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 Halloween special, I think, this year. So, nice. that's something to look forward to. Yeah, do it. I want it. And when you see Jerry in New York, if he gives you a weird hug, that's from me. I have a thing. Sure. I'll take it. Yeah, I'm always delivering hugs for this guy, cause he's a shadow. He never shows up anywhere. It's just me with a puppet on my hand doing a voice. Honestly, <laughs> I've been to conventions. That's true. Like That's four. True. Yeah. All right, Justin, I think we kept you long yeah. enough. I appreciate it, guys. I had fun. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. And thank up. you for the book. Oh, yeah. You're, no you're, problem. It's very good. And you will be selling a few more to me when I see you next. Yes, you will. Perfect. So I'll be sending Jerry with money. And he'll come back and he'll be like, I don't have any books for you, but I have this awesome story about a lap dance. (laughs) (laughs) She was dressed like Jean Grey. I had to do it. (laughs) I wonder how often that happens at conventions. It has to happen often. There was um, a few months ago, we didn't go, but at my store, a girl came in and dropped off flyers. Because a few towns over, there's a hustler club. And on Wednesdays, they had superhero night, where the strippers mm. dress like superheroes. Mm. And yeah. they, a couple cons that I've gone to, the, I'll get past the flyer at the table, like uh, a burlesque show of like girls doing, you know, strip dances as superheroes. And it's like, I don't know, man. I know. Uh, that, I, that was my problem because everyone else was like, we have to go for the story. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want things to be ruined for me. Like that all yeah. of this holds a very special place in my heart. And I know that all, because like even the fact that they picked Wednesday nights, I was like, 
some bouncer there is like, you know who we can take advantage of? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're already partying with money on Wednesdays. We just can take them for a little bit more. Exactly. You know who's never seen a woman naked before? (laughs) Comedy. There's there's this whole store of guys down there that are hungry for ladies. But think of every cliched dude that shops at our store. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, you're giving us all a bad name, guy. Those were the dudes who were like, fucking A. We have to do this. Yeah. Not me. Not me. Nuh-uh. I want... That, 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 not, not me either. <laughs> not me. All right. That's it. We're done. Cool. We're done. You're off the hook. You did it. Hopefully you won't get a message from me in five minutes saying that there's nothing there. Well, if we have to do it again, we, uh... We can do it. Again. We'll discuss Age of Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. We appreciate your time. You've been great. Well, thanks. You guys have been better. Yeah, that's true. Great. You guys are better. <laughs> and on that note, have a good evening, right, sir. Goodbye. Yes, I'm going to go get some hamburgers. You go rock so. that back rub, buddy. There we go. Don't think of us. Oh. Don't think of us. All night. <laughs> we'll see you later, man. Cool. Take care, guys. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. The distant future. The distant future. It is the distant future. The year 2000. We are robots. The world is very different ever since the robotic uprising of the mid-90s. There is no more unhappiness. Affirmative. We no longer say yes. Instead, we say affirmative. Yes, affirmative. Unless it's a more colloquial situation with a few robo-friends. There is only one kind of dance. The robot. And the robo-boogie. Oh, yes. Two kinds of dances. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. We use poisonous gases. And we poison their asses. The humans are dead. That's right, they are dead. The humans are dead. They look like they're dead. It had to be done. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we could have fun. Affirmative. I poked one, it was dead. Can't we just talk to the humans? A little understanding could make things better. Can't we talk to the humans that we're together now? No, because they are dead. Binary solo. Zero 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 one zero 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 one one zero 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 one 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 zero 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 one 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 zero 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 one zero 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 one one zero 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 one one one. Come on, Sakura, lick my battery. Robo Boogie. The humans are dead. Once again without emotion. The, the humans, humans are dead. Cry for the moon.